The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to the Titan Size Podcast. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by one of the other two hosts of the Titan Size Podcast. Matthias is on vacation. He's somewhere in the south. He's, like, I think leaving Indianapolis and heading toward Louisville. So uh, it will be up to me and Will Lomas to preview today's uh, game that we're previewing, which is Titans-Colts. Massive game, Will. We've, we've got an excellent show today. We've got Kevin Byard. We've got Buck Rising of 1025 The Game. Um, and, and it calls for that big of a show because, in my opinion, this is the single biggest regular season game this franchise has ever played. Yeah, and, and you know, off the cuff, that seems like her popper, but really how many other games have been this important? The Jaguars game was last year. This is a whole different thing. Yeah. You know, I, there's so many different outcomes that can happen. And first of all, to get here, the Titans had to go on a four-game winning streak, which you know we talk about later. But it's you know it's it's almost unheard of for the Titans franchise to go on a four-game winning streak. They just don't do it. I think it's the first time they've won four games in December in their in the franchise history. Maybe it's it's almost unheard of to do what the Titans have done, and. That that's not even the final step. They still have to win another game. That's how far back they were. So it, it's it's incredible that they've gotten to this point. But on Sunday, the Titans could miss the playoffs. They could be in as a wild card. They could be in as the three seed. I mean, they could be in as the two seed. They could have a bye. I mean, the Titans have such a weird range of you know hit or miss here that it only takes three more games besides the Titans winning to push them into the two seed. And that, I mean, that's something that if you had told me even two weeks ago when I could still picture oh, absolutely. that, if you would have, I mean, if you would have told me that they would have had a chance at a bye, I would have said you're insane. And now all it takes is three other teams to do their jobs and yeah. the Titans can. So, uh, you know, all the credit in the world. But yeah, this is absolutely the biggest game. And not just for the Titans' sake, but because it's a winner go home playoff match between two teams who both desperately want to win to get into the playoffs and there's no team Titans fans should hate more than the Indianapolis Colts I think there are really three things that in terms of overall gravity separate this game from last year's Jacksonville game the first one being that it's a primetime game Sunday night football the game of the week game 256 right last year's Jags game was at 330 in the afternoon so so that's one thing just the time of day Number two, both teams have something to play for, and both teams lose something monumental if they lose the game. 
Right, going into the Jags game last year, we didn't know if Blake Bortles was going to play. We didn't know if they were going to play, you know, Telvin Smith, Yannick Ngakwe, because they literally had nothing to play for. They had won the division. They had their seed locked up. And they said they were going to play their starters, and they did, but it never really felt like we saw last year's Jacksonville Jaguars in that game because that was a really good football team. They just didn't show up in that game. And then number three is, as you've alluded to, all of the options for what can happen you know, to this game. It can be for a wild card spot. It can be for the division. It can be for the two seat. And every Titans player that I talked to in the locker room today told me that they would be watching the Houston Texans game at noon. So that alone, the fact that there's all these different scenarios increase the gravity of this game, in my, at least in my mind. Yeah, you know, and uh, going back, I think one of the most important points is there's no way this is going to be a fluff win. You know, the, like you said, they're not going to sit anybody who's questionable. They're they're pushing every bit as hard as the Titans are. They're trying to get their best 53 and then pair down to their best 47, 46. 46. So, like, it's not going to be – well, the Colts actually rested Eric Ebron because it turns out they had a playoff spot locked up. No, that's not it. This is a full playoff for both teams, and that – very rarely happens at the end of the season. And it's exciting because the Titans have not played on Sunday night football slash had Al Michaels call one of their games since 2009. It has been nine years since they have been the game of the week. That is a long time. I feel like the Browns have probably played on Sunday night football since then. Yeah, I mean... Has any team ever had a Thursday night game, a Saturday game, a Sunday night game, a Monday night game, and a London game? They have played, I mean, the top- uh, had a lot of uncontested viewership games this year. Yeah, I mean, if this, if the Titans can win this game, and thinking you know, big picture, if the Titans can win this game, this should be a season where they look back and in ten years, everybody's asking, you know. What made you be a Titans fan? And say, what well, was the year they were on primetime or, you know, had no other competition six different times in a season and made the playoffs? You know, if yeah. if the Titans had beaten uh, uh, the Chargers in London, I kept wanting to call them San Diego, Los you, Angeles. You, you can and, call them San Diego. I, mean, I still do. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody would notice. Um, you know, if they had beaten the team formerly known as San Diego in London, then. I mean, first of all, this team would be in the playoffs already. But in a bigger picture, you know, they, they've they done everything you want to do as a team trying to get national media attention. You know, they've had bad, bad you know, spots on the road. The Buffalo game is one we always talk about. But they also beat the Cowboys on Monday Night Football. They beat the Patriots. They've done plenty to where if you're just somebody who likes the sport of football, you should enjoy watching the Titans because – even if they're not going to put up 40 points, there's a chance you're going to see a Derrick Henry game. You might see a total domination of an AFC powerhouse. You may see a down to the you know down to the final 10 seconds game like you did with the Eagles and with the Jet, uh, Jets game. You know you might see an absolute domination of just a mediocre team like they did with Jacksonville and New York. I mean, this is a team that is going to provide interesting outcomes 90% of the time. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, 
Yeah, I, I mean, this should be a team that goes from nondescript to finally having some interesting talking points for, you know, all the times they were buried in the last five years. This is the first time they've been truly given a chance, and I mean, I really hope they take advantage of it. Let's start, as we usually do in our preview episodes, talking about the injury situations. We'll get more in-depth in the Mariota situation in just a minute with Buck, but let's talk about some of the other injury situations, starting with Brian Arakpo. If I recall correctly, he missed uh, Wednesday's practice. Um, You know, he hadn't been himself this year, but they need that guy out there. I mean, you really want Arakpo, and it's it's so brutal because in the Jacksonville game, he was getting penalties. He looked like a disruptive force, though not, you know, the Brian Arakpo from last year or two years ago, but he looked like somebody that if you were an offensive tackle with slow feet or couldn't handle that power bull rip move he has, if you couldn't handle those things, you were going to be in for a long night. I mean, he's never going to set you up with speed. He's never going to go to a spin move. He really doesn't have that many tools in his arsenal now. But, you know, if he can match up with bad offensive tackles or, you know, slightly below average offensive tackles, he can do well. And he was slowly starting to build. If he hadn't gotten hurt in that Jaguars game, you know, who who knows where he would be right now. Jaguars or Giants game? One of those two games. I forget which one it was. But, you know, if... If he hadn't gotten hurt, he was finally building up momentum, and he could have had a good finish of the season. But, yeah, I mean, you need a powerful guy off the edge, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a second, but Sharif Finch is the guy who has actually been that player this year. Yeah, and and I, I think you mentioned Sharif Finch practicing in full today. Um, that's a group, especially against Andrew Luck. You know, you got to get production out of that group. And having a Rackpo and having Finch on the field, it's not going to solve the problem, but it's going to go a long way toward pressuring Andrew Luck. We'll obviously talk more about the importance of that to the game in a minute. But in terms of a health perspective, you obviously, if you're the Titans, desperately want both of those guys out there. Yeah, I mean, Finch has to be out there because he's been, you know, uh, he, Landry, and Evans have been uh, all the rookies, really have been three of the best five defensive players on the team, along with uh, Jayon Brown and Kevin Byard, even now that Jarrell Casey's out. But, you know, like those guys are the guys making the impact. You know, you come up with those four quick, and when you're looking for a fifth guy, Finch be the guy. He's, you know, he's had forced fumbles. He's had tackles for loss in the run game. He's had sacks. I mean, he's covered. He's played special teams. He really has done a lot for this team and doesn't get the credit he deserves, but... I mean, if he's had a week off to recover and let the rest of his body heal along with his shoulder, and he can come back in a brace or whatever and play slightly more healthy and more fresh, I mean, that's a huge difference than playing Harold Landry and Derek Morgan 100% of the snaps on defense. On the Colts front, I think the biggest name that stands out is Eric Ebron, who has both a concussion and a knee injury that he's he's dealing with. So not only is he in the concussion protocol, which you must practice in full to even see the independent neurologist, he's dealing with knee injury. And so what that tells me is he has to overcome the knee injury enough to practice in full to then be cleared by the independent neurologist. 
Now, I'm not a head coach, but from what I understand from the perspective of a, a reporter and a podcast host, it's not seeming likely that he's going to be out there. No, and, it, you know, I wish that would have been a bigger deal, but because Ebron had zero catches against the Titans the last time they played and they still got smashed, it's hard for me to think that that'll necessarily be a motivating factor that really moves the needle in this game. But, I mean, it is important to talk about because for whatever reason, against every team that's not named the Titans, he's had good games. I mean, he, he's looked completely completely revitalized and, you know, they... they Indianapolis has found whatever he's been missing in Detroit and finally has made him into the player that he was supposed to be coming out of North Carolina. And I, I don't I don't like to speak well about other teams' players too much, but, I mean, Ebron was a guy I loved coming out of college, and I'm, I'm glad he's finding some success and, you know, finally being able to be that vertical, athletic threat at tight end. I just wish he was doing it for the Packers and not the Colts. Well, I'm also happy that Ebron is having success because it confirms my point that the Detroit Lions ruin everybody and everything. Man, I, Absolutely. Can't stand, I cannot stand that franchise. Um, but that, that T.Y. Hilton, no practice on Tuesday. I doubt there's much to that. Would you agree? Yeah, you know... He's had an ankle injury for the past two or three weeks, and he's been questionable every game, and he's managed to play and play well, but it's to the point where they don't really practice him because it's a bad enough injury where they don't want to re-aggravate it. But, I mean, it is a real injury that's there. I mean, it's it's been bothering him, and people in practice have been concerned about him. And so, you know, on one way you can spend it that other receivers are getting more time with luck, but, I mean, Hilton's the guy that makes that offense – actually three-dimensional and functional if for whatever reason he gets banged up early like we've seen with Taewon Taylor and Tajay Sharp where they're just one bad play away from missing the rest of the game I mean if that happens to T.Y. Hilton and he's not fully healthy now then I mean that could be huge in game well now let's dive more into this Mariota injury situation because that, that's obviously the, the big thing that the Titans are dealing with. And to help us with that discussion, we're going to welcome Buck Rising from ESPN 102.5 The Game onto the show. He's a Titans beat reporter. He's at practice every day, so he, he knows this team backwards and forwards. He also hosts the Tackling Music City podcast and radio show, which I was once told that someone told me that the only podcast they like more than – Hours is Buck's podcast, so we felt like it would it would be in good favor for us to bring him onto the show. So uh, now that Buck is with us, uh, let's hop into talking about this injury somewhat in detail, which is interesting. Uh, we made the comment today at the Titans facility that Mariota spoke to the media today, but he did not say anything to the media day today about his injury, and I think we all kind of came away with more questions than answers. Oh, honestly. I mean, I <laughs> I believe Steve Lehman tweeted that out from News Channel 5, and I I mean, anytime you go into a Marcus Mariota press conference, there's there's precious little chance that you learn something of actual value because my man is an expert at speaking in coaching clichés. But I, you walk away from today's press conference looking – for some kind of revelatory information, just you know, just to kind of get a gauge on where this guy is at ahead of Sunday, and you're left scratching your head because not only was he less informative than he was on his uh, uh, morning morning uh, wake up zone yeah. interview that he does on Wednesdays, 
but he uh, he had clearly gotten some coaching from Titans <laughs> PR in terms of keeping things under lock and key because uh, we weren't getting anything out of Marcus Mariota today after the pra- after practice. So the, the one thing I noticed that was weird is in the morning interview, he talked about the numbness and the tingling and how, you know, nerve injuries sucked. But then later he talked about how he cleared Stinger concussion protocol and, and Vrabel seems adamant that it's not necessarily the same injury or just it's outright not the same injury and that he feels better than he felt after the last Stinger he got. So it's, it's so hard to get a read. I mean, I'm not going to guess whether he's going to play or not. It's just I I feel so much more in the dark than I did yesterday, which is about par for the course. Well, I mean, the disinformation campaign is strong because not only do you have Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network out here putting putting things out on a national platform that, I mean, frankly, are just untrue. You're you're getting messages from the coach about, well, no, it's not – it's not the same thing that he experienced in Miami, which was, of course, the elbow injury. It's not, it's not quite the same as the stinger that he, he, was, uh, that he had to be pulled uh, from the Indianapolis game about a month ago because it was, if we're to believe the injury reports, on that injury report, he was listed with a shoulder stinger. On this one, it's a neck. Now, how do you differentiate between the two? Um, I'm not entirely sure because this, I'm, not, I'm not in the medical profession, but what I do know is that the quarterback for the Tennessee Titans is probably dealing with a variety of issues right now, some that we are aware of and probably many more that we are not. Um, it's, it, is so, it is so difficult, and which makes it so much more difficult to evaluate Marcus Mariota as a player because you don't ever know when he's totally right because he just he continues over the course of his career to accumulate these these nicks and bumps and bruises that end up leading to much larger issues in the long term. And, and you worry about the guy just on a per- personal level. It, it's, not, it's not sustainable. Uh, the way that he get, gets beat up back there, I, I use Andrew Luck or Ben Roethlisberger early in his career when he was, you know, I mean, we all, we're all familiar with the escapability of Ben Roethlisberger, but the way that he would run early in his career it was I mean, borderline reckless just because he's bigger than everybody else and he can mm-hmm. take those hits. Marcus Mariota's not that, that guy, and we're seeing that happen pretty early on in his career now in his fourth year as a pro. I, I mean, if, if, we are, if, we are to, if we are to dive in with any kind of depth on this particular injury, I don't think we're going to have much success trying to figure it out because, one, you're dealing with a coach who, has, who is just, just reviles the idea of releasing any kind of information about these guys. I mean, I thought, I honestly thought that he would undress Logan Ryan for putting his, uh, putting out his own injury information saying he was done for the year on Twitter, uh, rather than allowing the team to keep it under lock and key and, and give us some kind of guys. At a press we, we still don't know what happened to, play again. to Ty Smith during training camp. Cause all they said was season ending. Injury. Oh, that was, that was state secret. Number one, that was right off the bat. Yeah. <laughs> um, something that I think, will probably weigh on the Titans' mind and probably honestly should weigh on their mind is what happened in the first Jacksonville game this year where Mariota started as the backup, then Gabbert got the concussion. Mariota kind of came out of the bullpen and with a limited arm ability won them that game uh, against a really tough Jacksonville defense. And I think that game has to show the Titans that a limited Mariota is – 
probably a lot better than a full-strength Gabbert. And I asked Vrabel about that today, if that would weigh on his mind. And he said, you know, a lot of things weigh on my mind. But, I mean, surely that weighs on Vrabel's mind. Mike has aged so much. Mike has aged so much in the in the short time that he's he been really the Tennessee Titans coach. I bet that man has a lot on his mind right now. Yeah, I mean, he has to basically play a, a politician every day. So um, along those lines, while we're talking about that, do we think that, you know, a one or two read offense where it's, you know, Mariota looks at Corey Davis, looks at Deion Lewis or Derrick Henry out of the backfield and then just tucks it and slides or throws it out of bounds. Is that going to be more effective than a a Gabbert who, you know, is probably going to throw the ball right at a defender one time, but also can throw a really pretty ball to Taewon Taylor, like on a long uh, post route. You know, it, it seems cliche to say, but I just trust Mariota's legs more than Gabbert's arm. It's an interesting it's an interesting dilemma to have to dissect, right? Because when you watch the tape back on that Washington game, after Gabbert came in, I mean, you almost you almost say in hushed tones, Well, I really didn't see a drop off in the offense after Gabbert came in against Washington and then yeah. you know, you, you don't say it too loud because you don't want anybody to hear you and think that, oh, quarterback controversy or some nonsense like this. It Abel, Vrabel, all week, I guess, because since we've talked to him on Monday and and been in the locker room, uh, he has been operating with this this theme of, we're going to put the guys out there who don't put themselves in a position to make whatever their situation is worse than it already may be. If, you know, he's been cautious with guys in injury situations, now given the gravity of this particular situation coming up on Sunday, I would think that they have to do more more with Marcus Mariota. Whether it looks like an unconventional game plan, like what they did for the Texans or against the Texans in Week Two with Gabbert, where you're doing, where you're mixing in more Henry Wildcat, and you're giving Gabbert or Mariota, whomever is the quarterback for this game, easy access throws, quick completions, predetermined reads to kind of take take the thinking out of the game and allow them to operate with more ease. You, you don't you don't want to call it a dumbed-down offense, but maybe a more basic version of the stuff that they would typically run or the stuff that requires more more nuance or more <clears throat> more technique uh, in terms of, you know, whatever it is schematically that they're trying to draw up for Marcus. What what is what is interesting to look at as a comparison is what how the offense in Indianapolis has changed under Chuck Pagano and now to Frank Reich and kind of use that as the model. Luck Luck has so many easy access throws that the protection in front of him is good, but it's not as good as it's being made to seem because they're doing things schematically to get the ball out so much quicker. And they're using, I mean, a lot of the play designs are very, very creative. And Andrew Luck, of course, is a transcendent talent. But it's kind of, it's kind of that same thing where you don't want to overthink it and you don't want to ask too much of the parts that you may have at your disposal because, I mean, let's face it, with everybody that they've got on IR and probably a really, really hurt quarterback that's going to be starting for you, I mean, they are, they are really hamstrung heading into this one at Week 17. Looking at this from the perspective of the average Titans fan, it would be hard-pressed for me in that spot 
to think that my team was doing their best in what is arguably the highest stakes regular season game that this franchise has ever played against Andrew Luck, the the boogeyman that they haven't beaten in 11 attempts, and they throw Blaine Gabbard out on the field. That would not sit well with me. <laughs> maybe, maybe, what, what, what would sit worse with you as a Titans fan? Would it be Keith Urban being the 12th Titan, or would it be trotting Blaine Gabbard out for a, for a playoff? Off implication game. And I, we we had someone tweeted us and say that they need to send all the injured players out there, and I just thought that would be depressing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just a bunch of dudes in slings and on wheelchairs and with crutches and broken legs. Yeah, I mean, in, in all seriousness, though, this this is a franchise that is just in the perfect storm of of bad publicity. Right? You're you're a franchise that's been losing for 20 years and so well not quite 20 years but nearly all of your 20 years of existence um and so your friend your fans that have any kind of attachment to the team or who are actually local and have been around the tennessee titans um have become disenfranchised and now you have a situation where not only are the tennessee titans not getting draws or not getting uh crowds to their games but it's like i mean every team in the league is dealing with this because of how much better the at-home experience is. Um, now you have you have a situation where you're thinking, oh, okay, could the Music City Bowl between Purdue and Auburn be as big, if not bigger, a draw than the Tennessee Titans and Indianapolis Colts in Week 17 with a playoff berth on the line on Sunday Night Football? And then you get this this Keith Urban thing, which is just the cherry on top because it's laughable the way that if the Nashville Predators trotted out a celebrity in front of their fans, everybody would go crazy. But the Tennessee Titans do it, and they just get flat panned. Um, so it's a weird relationship that Titans fans seem to have with this team. The ultimate smack in the face, though, would, to be, would, to, would be to see Blaine Gabbert trot out with the starting offense within a game of this magnitude. Because I just don't think – I don't think – Tennessee Titans fans seem to be wired – for disappointment, yes. I don't think that you can just immediately. I don't think that you can immediately just throw the wet blanket on them with Gabbert right out of the gate. I think you got. I think you got at least put Marcus out there for a series, like, like and I maybe like, if, if it comes to it, mix in Gabbert. I don't know. I feel like the Titans would win the Super Bowl, and then we look at Twitter and be, well, yeah, but Corey Davis isn't a true number one wide receiver. Yeah, you know, something like that. <laughs> That's absolutely how it would go. Yeah, I mean. We're in the middle of a 27-win, you know, three-year stretch, and fans are more depressed now than I remember when Mettenberger was starting and Cosell was telling them not to draft Mario. Like, the the franchise, you know, it it's in the place where you should be the most optimistic from a macro view, but it seems like every week just enough goes wrong to complain about even if you win. Well, and I mean, think about it this way, guys. Like, is this not the quietest four-game winning streak that any professional football team has ever had? I mean, they yeah, go they it's, go it's, so yeah. largely unnoticed in the world. Any the time longest that they have active. any kind of sustain. Say that again. I'm sorry. Uh, I was saying it's the longest active streak in the NFL, and it it could not go more under the radar. Oh, it's it's totally bizarre the way that this team, even when they do have sustained success, people find ways to pick them apart. It's 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 a, again, it 
goes back to the very, very bizarre relationship that sports fans in the city of Nashville and people who are affiliated with the Tennessee Titans seem to have with that particular team. Because like you said, I, I, it's a 27-game it's a uh, or 27-win stretch over the past three years, you said? Yeah, nine, nine every year. Which, which, how, many, how many NFL franchises would trade for that? Oh, yeah, that makes sense, nine every year, if I could do basic math. Good job out of me. Uh, how, many, how many NFL franchises would, would sell their soul yeah. for 27 wins over three? I mean, you, you think the Browns? You think Browns fans would not get down on their hands and knees and worship the ground that Marcus Mariota walked on? I, mean, I, think, I think the Lions would trade places with season. the Titans easily. Sure, sure. I mean, I mean, there, there's you could pick them. You could go down the list of franchises, and anybody would tell you anybody who is a part or is a party to or has to go to games of these kind of in the middle franchises like the Tennessee Titans are. They'd take three consecutive winning seasons in a heartbeat, and they would sign that quarterback to a bigger contract than Marcus Mariota is going to get because that's not out there everywhere else, guys. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 go ahead, Will. Well, I was, I was going to say, I, I wrote about this today, so it's fresh in my mind. It, the fan base has never known anything but above-average play since John Robinson has been the general manager. It's three straight nine-win seasons with a chance at a tenth win this year, which would make him the most successful GM the Titans have ever had in franchise history since they moved to Nashville on a season-by-season basis. And yet, the fan base was ready to riot and bring out their pitchforks when he didn't trade a second-round pick for Golden Tate at the trade deadline. Yeah. So it goes to, you know, they're they're so ready because for so long the fans have seemingly known all the problems that are going to happen and have been right. You know, putting Will Svitek at right tackle, doing all these dumb things that have led to failure. The fan base is so used to the obvious answer being the right answer that they don't notice that over the past three years the team has been pretty good and now is in you know another optimal situation where you're in a borderline playoff game at home. And all they can focus on is, you know, the negatives. And it's just it's just tough. And it seems like more often than not, going back to Mariota, it's it's his injuries that kind of are the focal point where, you know, Big Ben doesn't this, get this kind of flat. Cam Dutton, Aaron Rodgers doesn't. I mean, there's plenty of quarterbacks every year who get injured and their entire team gets derailed. But because the Titans have a modicum of success when he's not on the field, it, it kind of uh, belittles the importance he's had and his game-winning drives and all his fourth quarter you know endings so it's just it's just hard to look at it from a macro view and not be impressed but then like I said there's always something every week that fans can pick at which is tough I cannot tell you how much I love the fact that on your second example of Tennessee Titans fans being able to pinpoint disaster and being right that you cited Will Svitek at right tackle <laughs> as your second example out of the gate. That is just tremendous to me. But you're not wrong. I mean, <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's, just, it's funny that that was the second thing that you thought of. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, we were, we were sitting in the writer's room on trade deadline day. Hell, we talked to Mike Vrabel with an hour left to go in the trade deadline, and I just felt bad for the guy. He up here fielding free, or, uh, trade trade deadline questions, and we're – we're just seeing all this bile and, and vitriol come in on all of our individual Twitter feeds because they just haven't done anything. And then once the news comes out that they put in a late offer on Demarius Thomas, who ended up going to a division rival, then all hell breaks loose and everybody's calling for John Robinson's job. I mean, I 
I I cannot say that I understand the plight of the Tennessee Titans fan. It's not it's not been my sports experience. Um, just but just viewing it from afar and knowing the history of this team, at just kind of in research before I started covering them. I mean, it, <laughs> I I I simply I simply don't know how to put my finger on what will make Tennessee Titans fans happy because the definition, if we're going to go back, back to the quarterback, that seems to be as you said the focal point for all the all the the starting point, I guess we should say. For all of the all of the descendants into into just just flat out hatred for the guy who I, I don't know how you could hate frankly just in dealing with him on a day to day basis. Um, Marcus Mariota, according to Titans fans, needs to be a franchise quarterback in the mold of Brady, Breeze, Rogers, whomever Hall of Famer that you would like to name. And the realization is that you might have a quarterback who was one of the best college players that we've ever seen, and his ceiling might be a little lower than people anticipated. Okay, that's fine. Because the talent level at starting quarterback across the board, outside of the hall of, outside of the clear cut Hall of Famers, I mean everyone everybody's pretty well the same. If you're worse than Ryan Tannehill, you probably can't win with him. That seems to be the line. But like across the board, if you're asking Marcus Mariota to be a franchise quarterback well, the definition of a franchise quarterback is to elevate the players and the situation around him. If that's not what Marcus Mariota does in the fourth quarter, I don't know what is, guys. I mean, I, you tell me. I I know yeah. what I, I think. I know what I'm seeing every Sunday, but maybe maybe I'm uh, I'm staring through two tone blue glasses. I think we'll close <laughs> this out with the, the nugget that the great Gil Brandt presented us with this weekend that the Titans need to move on from Mariota and go in Joe Flacco direction. I know you're a big Flacco supporter. How do, how do you feel about that? <laughs> uh, listen, selfishly, I would I would sell everything that I own <laughs> to have Joe Flacco in Nashville just because I I'm in love with Joe Flacco. He is he is my favorite quarterback in the history of professional quarterbacks, which says something about my sports existence. Now, I mean, Gilbrandt, Gilbrandt is, is a legend in NFL circles and outside of NFL circles. He's a Hall of Famer, and he is just plat, blatantly wrong. I mean, I almost said something that I cannot say on your podcast. Gilbrandt is so, so far gone beyond the pale in his, in his placement of Joe Flacco, one of the places that Joe Flacco could potentially land, being in Nashville, not as a backup, but to supplant Marcus Mariota. Because if I rem- if I remember the article correctly, Bill said that he's just not developing right. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it goes back to the Ian Rappaport thing, right? These guys aren't here on a daily basis. It's why you can only trust so much of the national coverage that you get of your team. Because I mean, Simply, these guys are looking at it from from an outside view, and it's not always accurate, and it can it can affect your perception in a way that's that's really unfair to the player and unfair to the team. And and that's why we fight the good fight here in here in Nashville, right? You're damn right. But thank thanks so much for the time. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Hey boys, it was fun. Anytime you need me. You can follow Buck on Twitter at Buck Rising. Uh, we really appreciate him again taking uh, time out of his day to join us and help us out with that discussion. Before we get into talking about some matchup specific issues, I want to talk about 
the magnitude of this game. We, we mentioned the Sunday night football, haven't done that in nine years, and, and obviously what it means for both teams. But, and we talked a lot about this with Buck, for Titans fans, this game should mean a lot. And I know, Will, you wanted to hit on something with this. Well, I'll just let you t- take over. Yeah, so... I tweeted this out and got more pushback than I thought I would. Uh, I'll present it the exact same way. If you've got season tickets to the Titans games, I am not going to tell you that it's not you're you know you're not allowed to sell your tickets or anything like that. You can sell your tickets. I, my only problem is do not call yourself a serious fan because this is a playoff game and if you're selling a ticket for a hundred dollars extra face you know above face value per ticket that i mean go wash a few cars i mean i don't mean to sound insensitive or elitist or whatever well if, if you, in all fairness if you have nfl season tickets you're probably not living paycheck to paycheck yeah that's what i'm saying like if you've got season tickets like you've got enough money to where what what reason would you buy season tickets if not for this this is a free bonus playoff game that you've been given, and you're lucky enough to have cheap seats to it, and your first reaction is, I should sell these and make $100 so I can sit at home, then just don't buy the tickets. Yeah, I mean, that's that's my thing, well, and, every, and I got pushback, which take, is crazy. I'll take it a step further than you. I'll say, if you're a season ticket holder, I don't care if you sell your tickets to Titans fans or Colts fans, don't sell your tickets. Season <laughs> tickets are not like a stock market investment. Now, I get it. Like, Will, I know you sold your tickets to uh, the Eagles game because for whatever reason, like, you go to StubHub, that game really went up in price, and middle of the regular season, not going to matter that whole, that all that much in, in the grand scheme of things. Okay, I'll sell my tickets. Fine, whatever. Not this game. This is, as we mentioned earlier, n- no hyperbole, the most important and crucial regular season game this franchise has ever played. So if you're a Titans fan, or if you consider yourself or purport to be a Titans fan, and you have tickets to this game, and you can readily access the venue, and you sell your tickets to make money, I am going to sincerely question the authenticity of your fanhood or fanship or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, and that's that's 100% fair. Learn from my mistake. I had to go on a trip with my wife and my family. I sold... The mistake at, is going on trips with your wife and your family. That's right. Don't do it. Live alone and just buy season tickets to the Titans. <laughs> no, um, it, I sold my tickets to uh, my wife's uncle who is great. He's a Titans fan. He doesn't, he doesn't usually get a chance to go to him because he's usually working. He had an off weekend, and so I sold him to him. He went and got to see one of the best games, if not the best game in Tennessee Titans regular season history. He got yeah. to see, you know, something that he got to see Corey Davis's first uh, career touchdown reception in the regular season. He got to see a great comeback from one of the best quarterbacks in the league right now, and Marcus Mariota. He got to see the NFC, you know, I guess just entire Super Bowl champion yeah. uh, Philadelphia lose with Carson Wentz it wasn't Nick Foles in there I mean he got to see everything he wanted to see and that's what that's what you get with season tickets and that was just a week four game I mean this is 
you know, week 17, everything on the line, and you get a chance to be a part of a community all yelling and cheering. And not only that, but think about the cost if you sell your ticket to a tight or to a Colts fan. Then all you're doing is taking away from the team you're acting like you support and giving to the other team. You are actively hurting the team you support. It just it doesn't make sense to me. Like I said, I mean, if you want to sell your tickets, that's ultimately your choice, obviously. I mean, I'm not going to come in your house and shut down your computer every time you try to put them on StubHub. But, I mean, just think about it. Like, if you're going to sell your tickets, just don't buy tickets next year. It, this is not for you. This yeah. sport and this item is not for you, and that's fine. Just buy and, tickets off StubHub because you don't mind selling them. Yeah, and one thing I hear a lot is, well, we had a Christmas party, or well, you know, we couldn't work it out because I had something planned. The NFL releases their schedule right after the draft, or right before. Actually, I think it's right before. Like yeah, early is. in April, the NFL releases their draft. So guess what? You've got all of uh, May, August, uh, June, July, uh, September, October, November, and December. That's eight months you have to plan ahead for these games. Because yeah, when this, something is important is- to you, you plan ahead. You don't say, let's have family whatever on this day. Oh, wait, there's a Titans game. No, if you're a dedicated fan, you're not going to let that happen if you have control over it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, I mean, if we seem like we're asking too much of you, then I guess you and I just don't like football the same amount. Because yeah. if I was asking you to sell your, you know, week five tickets versus Buffalo or whatever, then okay, yeah. I mean, theoretically that's a lose-lose situation because either you see a boring game versus the bills you know this is what you're imagining or you see uh the bills actually beat the titans and then you know you're on the wrong side of that so i understand that's not what this game is i mean you have a chance to be a part of something that hasn't happened in six years uh, it hasn't happened ever really in that the titans beat andrew then you can be i mean this is what's on the line uh, the first loss uh, of Andrew Luck's career against the Titans, yep. a playoff spot, potentially a home playoff spot, potentially yep. a bye week home playoff spot. Um, John Robinson's tenth win, which would make him the most successful general manager the Tennessee Titans have ever had uh, on a per year basis. You could see Mari. I mean, th- that's just the things that tangibly will happen. That's not even talking about what could happen in the actual game. I mean, you could see Harold Landry become a star in front of your eyes. You could see Rashawn Evans take the next step. You could yeah. see Jayon Brown pick up Andrew Luck and change the power dynamic in the AFC forever. But all you are doing is looking at $100 and thinking, I would rather have that instead of all these possibilities. And like I said, maybe you just don't enjoy football the same way I do, and that's your business, but just skip on the season tickets next year. Last word on this. Titans fans were steeped in misery for a long time. This team went 5-27 and over the course of two seasons, and now they have their third straight winning season, and they have a, essentially a 50% chance, maybe the odds makers don't agree with that, of going back to the playoffs for the second time in two years. Enjoy this while it lasts. Um, let's move on and talk about some actual matchup-specific stuff and how the Titans can 
take down Andrew Luck. Let's start on the defensive side of the ball. How important is pressure going to be this weekend? I mean, it's huge. So what what the Colts' formula for beating most teams is, is they like to run with three tight ends, two tight ends, and those big, heavy formations, and they like to really spread out your defensive line. They like to play, make you play in a one technique and a three technique, and then your defensive ends kind of have to bump out a little wider, and it makes it harder to rush because your angles are worse to the quarterback. It makes it harder to stop the run because you either have to commit guys to the line of scrimmage now or you have to let you know the left tackle and right guard get a full step before your linebackers react. So the only way you can stop that is by blitzing effectively and by beating – those deep passes like the one we saw to T.Y. Hilton versus Adoree Jackson, it, you've got to get pressure there early so that Andrew Luck just can't sit there and stand completely still and then just throw up big lobs and let his players run underneath and make plays. Uh, you know, coverage and pressure marry, and they're, they're one kind of uh, entity that feeds off of both parts. But, I mean, ultimately, the only thing you can control is how quickly you get to the quarterback. Everything else is just good effort on the other side, and they can help each other, and they both end up you know, reflecting in you know, how many turnovers and how many sacks you get. But the best way to do that is just get upfield quick and get to the quarterback. I mean, that's yeah. the only way you can really make an impact on a defense on a constant basis. What do you think Adoree Jackson needs to do differently against T.Y. Hilton? This week, because that's probably a matchup we're going to see again, and it did not go the Titans' way last time. In fact, it quite often went the polar opposite of the Titans' way. I mean, he needs to play him like he's played him in the past. I mean, he played him well when Jacoby Brissett was a quarterback, and I know that's different, but it's also not really different. T.Y. Hilton was still T.Y. Hilton, and he was still running his routes. There's just no separation. You know, Adoree also covered Josh Gordon and, you know, completely neutralized him. Adoree Jackson can be one of the better corners in the NFL, and we've seen flashes of that. It, it, honestly, it just has to be the right day for him. I mean, he has to wake out of bed, wake up and roll out of bed as the good Adoree Jackson who's going to be able to cover everything and not just the above-average Adoree Jackson who can stop most things, but... It still, it still might give up a big play. I mean, the way to beat the Titans' defense is not to target Adoree Jackson deep. Historically, that has been a bad option. So I don't really worry too much about that. I worry more about the way the Titans have defended, I want to say, the last three months, just maybe just after the first month of the season, where they give up all this free cushion and then – the, their mentality seems to be we're not getting beat deep. We're going to make sure that everything stays within, you know, three or four yards in front of us because we're going to close quickly. But what that does is it just sets you up for failure. So I'm not worried about, and I say this, and uh, lo and behold, Adoree Jackson will probably get beat because I say this, but I'm not worried about Adoree Jackson getting beat on a 60-yard pass that travels 40 yards through the air. I'm worried about him getting beat on a 60-yard pass where it's a three-yard pass and a 57-yard run, run after the catch because yeah. Titans' defense has skewed the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I, I will say about this, because I just remembered it now, this is the game that Dean Pease had his yeah. 
in, is his injury. It wasn't really a stroke. They thought it might have been, but it wasn't. It was just something with his eye, I believe, is what the diagnosis was. So we don't really know what the Titans' defense should have and would have looked like versus the Colts because we only got to see a very limited amount of you know what should have happened. And I, I want to say that the first drive the Colts had was a punt, and then after that the wheels just completely fell off. And, and you know, at the time, I, I don't think we really knew all that was going on. But looking back on it, if he called the first series and then didn't call anything else, that would explain why the why the defense looked so bad and why there was such poor communication. Before we move on to talking about the offense, because what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what the game plan would be for Gabbard and what the game plan would be for Mariota. Uh, first, I was able to talk to Kevin Byard today about how the Titans should attack Andrew Luck and, and not allow him to become some, some kind of boogeyman figure that everyone fears. So here's what Byard had to say on that front. So when you talk about, obviously, you know, I'm sure you all talked about it, the, the Andrew Luck 10-0 against the Titans, whatever. How do you make sure that you don't, I guess, treat Andrew Luck like he's the boogeyman, like he's this guy who's going to come in that you have to be scared of? How do you avoid that? I mean, well, he's not a perfect quarterback. Nobody's a perfect player in this league. Uh, me, personally, I fear no quarterback. I mean, he's a great player, don't get me wrong, but I mean, he's a great player all around this league. We played great players all year. You know, he's just one of those guys who has success against us, and we, we need to uh, make that change uh, on Saturday, Sunday night. And do you think that needs to be, I guess, the mentality of the locker room to just have no fear against this guy? Yeah, I mean, it, it really has nothing to do with fear. I mean, fear shouldn't even be in the conversation. It should just be do your job and uh, try to execute the game plan and uh, do, what, do what we have to do necessary to win the game. I mean, I feel like that's bottom line. What do you think are some of those things with locks? Uh, I mean, I think... You know, one thing, he, he, he's a great pocket passer. I mean, we all know what he can do with his legs, but I think he's, his willingness and his want to actually stand him in the pocket and step him in the pocket and let guys run around him no matter what. He steps in there, two hands on the ball, great ball security. Uh, he's just a smart guy as far as making all the right decisions, right reads. Uh, it's definitely going to be hard to trick him as far as disguising the coverage, but we'll try to do what we can and uh, see if he can throw us one. You guys played against Big Ben last year, and he's, of all time, one of the guys where everyone says, oh, you, know, you get him in the pocket and he's slippery, right. you slide right off of him. What kind of like that too? Yeah, he's one of those quarterbacks where, and it's a couple quarterbacks in the league, kind of like Deshaun Watson, those guys where if they get outside the pocket, they're a lot dangerous because their eyes are always still down the field. Even though they're running around, they have space to run, you know, they're still looking to throw the ball, make make dangerous plays down the field. So that's a good attribute for him right there. What impresses you when you look at a film on the connection that Andrew has with T.Y. Hilton and their, just, their ability to be on the same page? Yeah, I mean, T.Y. Hilton is an explosive player. I've been seeing that since college. Uh, I think one thing about when you see their offense work, I mean, it kind of goes to T.Y. Hilton. I mean, they're kind of dink and duck. You have their running backs make big plays. But, you know, if T.Y. Hilton start getting big plays in, in, in their offense, they win ball games. So I would think that's be one of the main keys is eliminating T.Y. Hilton, his big playability, and I think we have a great chance of winning. We talked earlier in the season about how, how big the home field advantage is at Nissan Stadium. How key is that going to be, especially with this being a game of the magnitude that it is? Yeah, I, I, th I think we should make it a key. You know, your family's going to be – Pretty sure most guys are gonna have family in town. Uh, it's a home crowd, uh, especially when you're talking about a team that's home. Uh, home stadium is in a dome. They had to come outside and come to cold Nashville and come play football, try to beat us in, in our own stadium. So, you know, we, we have a great record at home. So, hopefully, we can use it as advantage this weekend. You gonna watch the Houston game at noon? Uh, I'm sure I will. Uh, 
I probably watch a couple games and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's normal when I'm doing at the house, but uh, I, I'll be doing a little score watching. But more than likely, while I'm doing my score watching, I'll be having my playbook right in front of me, kind of uh, checking in some last minute notes and stuff like that. Have you guys filmed the? Or are you like Kevin Byer at MTSU for Sunday night football? Have y'all done that? Yeah, yet? we done it. Yeah, we done it. Did you go MTSU or Middle Tennessee? I did Middle Tennessee. Okay. I did Middle Tennessee. I'm not actually not a big fan of the whole MTSU. I think it's, it's too long. I think Middle Tennessee kind of flows on my on my tongue a little better. You you looking forward to I guess seeing that if you win after the game, looking back at that stuff? Yeah, most definitely. Uh, I mean, just playing on Sunday night. I mean, I've been watching Sunday night for a long time. To have the opportunity to play on my first game Sunday night for the playoffs is going to be an awesome experience. So now let's hop into the offense and talk about uh, what the game plan would be. If the Titans were to have either of the two quarterbacks, let's start with Blaine Gabbert because he's the guy, if he plays, we know what the Titans will be able to get out of him. I think with Gabbert, you throw a lot of seam routes because that's what he's comfortable doing. You get Pruitt involved, Ferks are involved, maybe Taewon or Tajay down the middle of the field. You give him some easy access throws to Corey Davis, and you pound the ball with Derrick Henry. I think that's the formula if you have Gabbert in the game. Yeah, it it sounds uh, fundamentally not stable. But what I would do, honestly, is I would just call plays and I would say, okay, we're going to run a cover two beater. We're going to run the the seam route and the two deep out or deep, you know, nine routes on the outside. Yeah. And if it's not cover two, your job is to immediately dump it off to Deion Lewis or to throw it out of bounds. Yeah, you know, I don't think that's a bad idea. Yeah, it's like you never want to play a guessing game with offense versus defense, but you have to make very simple reads. And, you know, you want to have it to where LaFleur can say, I'm seeing cover two. Are you seeing cover two? And he can say, yeah. And then they can either quick call to that or they can, you know, talk about it in the huddle and say, you know, hurry up for their roll coverage or whatever. You know, do that so that he not only has the option – to hit some deep plays with your play calling. But, you know, it's easy just – if it's not there, just dump off to Deion Lewis or uh, Anthony Ferkser or, you know, Henry if he's in. You know, take the three-yard gain if it's there and force them to drop back and cover deep and really stretch the field. And then if they don't respect you, throw the deep bomb because if, if you're going to – no matter who plays in this game, the one thing that remains constant is – you have to be willing to take big chunk, you know, chances because in all likelihood you're not going to hold this Colts defense to less than 20 points. You're probably going to have to score 25 or more to beat them, and it may be more than that. And if you're going to do that, you know, don't don't go out on your knees. Go down swinging, like you know, really try to make those big play, you know, efforts. And to do that, you have to have plays like this where you're say, okay. If you think if you see cover two and they're rolling towards the middle, don't think twice. Just rip it down the left side of the field, and it'll either be Corey Davis on one outside, Taewon Taylor on the other, or you know maybe Ferks are in the middle, or maybe Tajay in the middle. That that doesn't matter. But you know you're going to have either a really big option or a really fast option, and all you've got to do is put it where only they can get it. But you can't just say, well, it was cover two, but I was afraid. And I don't think Gabbert will. Gabbert seems like the guy who's not afraid to sling it. But we saw last time when he played against the Colts, he threw the ball directly at the linebacker. I mean, I think it might have been Darius Leonard. Cool I don't know who. Darius Leonard. Uh, no, he he was correctly left out. But, um, I mean, he threw it right in his chest. So it's like, don't ask him to throw it five or six times on a drive to be successful. 
a successful drive for Gabbert should be two big chunk plays or a bunch of little dump-offs. It shouldn't be seven-yard gains consistently because eventually you're going to ask him to throw into tight coverage and he's going to mess up. Yeah, and I think the thing with Gabbert is that I, I learned about him obviously when he was in the AFC South and then seeing him again last year in the Arizona game and then obviously watching him a lot over the course of this year is that his issues aren't anything from his shoulders down. He can be a pretty accurate guy. He's going to miss some throws every now and then. He's mobile, got a big arm, looks the part. But he is the most, perhaps, erratic quarterback I've ever seen, where if he gets flustered, you're in for some catastrophic football. Yeah. I mean, that was that was the big knock coming out of him uh, after he left Jacksonville is that he spent so much time with bad offensive linemen that he started seeing ghosts in the pockets and could never, never be – it goes in the pocket, not pockets. But uh, he could never be comfortable and just settle his feet. And yeah. I think you kind of step on the touchdown pass he threw to Pruitt uh, this last weekend is he got out – and because everybody bit so hard on Derrick Henry, even though he was panicking a little bit as he was rolling, you can kind of see it. But then there's a second where he realizes, okay, he's wide open and there's nobody close to me. And you can see his body kind of relax and him just make a really good throw that, you know, every quarterback should make. I mean, it was textbook as textbook gets. But what he has to have is either a really well-executed offense by the other 10 players or a play where he can say, okay, the coach told me to rip it. It's not my decision. I don't have to worry about being right or wrong. This is just, it is what it is. I need to throw it. What you can't do is say, you know, we're going to give him three options and let him calmly sit in the pocket and dissect and figure out. Because he just can't, it, that's not in his nature. That It, it wasn't at Missouri. It wasn't in Jacksonville. It, it hadn't been anywhere. And so he's not going to suddenly develop that over you know a seven game practice or a seven week uh, practice schedule. So just know what he's good at, and that's what good coaches do is they know what works and what doesn't, and hopefully they you know do what works. Um, for Mariota, I think what you're probably going to get from him if he plays is going to be very reminiscent of that Jacksonville game in Jacksonville as we talked about earlier. And if that is what you get, I think you, you obviously run Derrick Henry, but you can allow Mariota to make more decisions than Gabbert because he may not have the downfield strength, but he's also not erratic in the way that Gabbert is. Yeah. I mean, with Mariota, I think the chunk plays you're wanting are on the ground. Yes. I mean, I think, I think you're saying there needs to be a run element in every single play. You know, the Rams did it when they weren't even running the ball necessarily very well is they would run play action every single play. And Vrabel has a very old school thinking on this where he says you have to be able to run the ball for play action to work, which simply is not true. You know, linebackers don't read keys off of effectiveness. They read keys because that's their job. And so they flow to that so that they can get you into second and 10 by stopping a run right at the line of scrimmage. That's why, I mean, that's what fast flow players do. So especially these linebackers for the Colts, like you should try to get them to bite on Derrick Henry, who if you're making a game plan this week has to be the number one player you're trying to stop for the Colts because historically you have to think, okay, 
Mariota's not going to throw for five touchdown passes. That that just probably won't happen. And then you're saying, okay, what are they going to do to really put up 30 points on us, 25 points? Well, they're going to give it to Derrick Henry a lot because he's been the hot hand, so we're going to stop him first. And if you know going in that that's their mindset, abuse that. Make them feel stupid for doing that and make the players not believe in the scheme they've worked on. And then you can undo an entire week's worth of work just by having four or five good plays. And we've seen them do it in the past. They did it to New England. So, I mean, it's it's not a hard thing to do, but you have to start with his legs and with Henry's legs. And, you know, you need to run 80% of your plays as play action. And then the plays that aren't play action need to be the potential quarterback scrambles if one thing isn't there. So, I mean, that's how I'd attack with Mariota. We'll close with this real quick. Do you think he plays? I think there's no way they trot Blaine Gabbard out in this game. I think Mariota's too big of a warrior to not play. I think he plays. I think they go out with Mar. I think no matter what happens, uh, Mariota goes out there and takes the first snap of the series, and they're either going to hope that adrenaline kicks in or that they can mask his arm injury by running the ball a ton and by running a bunch of play actions and easy dump-offs on naked bootlegs. But I think... I think Matt LaFleur's entire job this week is designing a playbook that is specific to if Marcus can't play at full strength, how they're going to attack that defense. And if everybody's healthy, you know, they'll, they'll go back to the normal one. And if Gabbert's the guy who's got to play, then they'll just still use the normal playbook. But he has to pare it down and find something. But, yeah, I mean, I, it gun to my head. I think there's no way he sits out. That's going to do it for us. Enjoy this game, everyone. If you have tickets, please go to the game. Uh, if you happen to see me or, or Will up there, say hi to us. I uh, had someone tweet at me earlier today say that they, they watch this sh- our, our show so much that they listen to Titans press conferences and they're able to pick out my voice. I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, but <laughs> we, we do appreciate you guys listening. We're wrapping up the regular season. Hopefully our next episode won't be a season in review. It will be a looking ahead to the playoffs. Uh, So with that in mind, for Will Lomas and the absent Matthias Wadner, I'm Luke Worsham. Thanks for listening. We'll see everyone next time. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.